Grace and peace to you, mercy. It is uh, my delight to be here and open the word with you. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to Ephesians chapter 6? We've been going through a series called Relationships with Jesus at the Center. Uh, Last week, we talked about parenting. Uh, The week before that, we talked about marriage. If you missed any of those sermons, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, wherever you want to get your uh, media from. I'm really excited because we're almost done. And next week, we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and conclude our series. And so I've been just so blessed with the testimonies we got to hear and share about um, how God's word is just building us up. I'm also super duper excited about next couple of series we have planned all the way into Christmas, but we're praying that God would make sure that this is where our church goes and leads and the Holy Spirit would always be guiding us. So I'm really, really excited. And if you, have, uh, if you opened your Bibles, I'll just read and we'll pray in verse 5. Bond servants, today we're talking about work. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray with me. Jesus, you are the storehouse of God's treasures. Everything we find valuable, everything that is dearest is found in you. Lord, I pray for all the families in our church that are going through things, burdened. Lord, I pray for your comfort. And Lord, I pray that you would clothe this word in power. Lord, that we would live on mission in our work areas and jobs. In your name I pray, amen. Church, I come today with a plea. The more I was studying this text and preparing this message, I came away with a burden today that I really want to stir up in your hearts. Think about this. We spend an enormous amount of our life at work. A big chunk of our life is spent working. Some say 90,000 hours, a third of your existence, uh, half of your waking best hours are spent at work. Now, even if you disagree with those statistics, we all agree here that you spend a lot of time at work. And today, I want to stir up in you So that that space and that job that you work would not be a black hole, a dead end, a godless place for you. You see, the enemy really, really wants you to disassociate God from your job. Because that way he'll steal a big portion of your life. The enemy doesn't want you to see that you can live on purpose, on mission, 
in the job, not you that you want, but the job that you have. We can't glorify God in the job we want. We can glorify God in the job we have. And it is surprising and tragic that so often we think that jobs in our day-to-day lives have nothing to do with Jesus. We hang him up like a coat on a coat rack and go to work and come back only to pick up again. I don't know where you are at with your job today. Some of you here today are pretty unhappy in your job. You find yourself in a kind of miserable existence. You find yourself disconnected from what your dream was. You had a dream, and then there's the job you have. Anybody there? Or you, there's a disconnect between the gift you have. You know what I mean? The gift that God has given you, but the job you're actually working. Sometimes... God gives people jobs that are just a perfect match made in heaven. You know what I mean? Like their cause, their burden in life, and, and their talent, and then their job that they get paid from happens to be all in one thing, the job they work Monday through Friday. If that's you. Praise be to God for that. Most of us find ourselves in a place where we have a dream job in the actual job we're working. I was thinking about when I was in sixth grade, my dream was to play in the NBA. I don't know why you guys are laughing. They're <laughs> um, mercilessly laughing at me. And then I do have this job, and I love it so much. And I'm just thinking about how you can have a passion and a job are two different things that you don't work the kind of job that you're passionate about. And I want to let you know something, that's okay. Church, that's okay. Now, we want you to have the job you're going to be passionate about. We want you to have the job that you're called to and are gifted in. But if you don't, listen, most of our brothers and sisters throughout centuries did not have jobs they were passionate about. Most people throughout human history did not have jobs they felt called to. If you were a potato farmer because your parents were potato farmers, you couldn't come up to this person and say, man, how do you feel? Is that your calling? Is that your gift? Is that what you really care about? No. And guess guess what? All of our brothers and sisters, even though they were in jobs that they might not necessarily have the passion for, fulfilled the will of God for their life. You can be in an in-between job. You can find yourself today in a job you don't have passion for and still be living in calling. You know how you live in your calling always? You say yes to the things God has called you to. In your job, the things that God has called you to, when you say yes to those, you end up living your calling, whatever the job may be. Here's what I want you to know. You don't have to love your job to glorify God. You don't have to love your job to live in your calling. You don't have to glorify God to store up treasures in heaven. And I want to stir you up today. Some of you are, find yourself in a place where you're like, ah, it's just job, man. It's just paying the bills. It's in an in-between job. It's a stepping stone to my career. Some of you find yourself in a happy place. Praise be to God. But just because you're happy in your job doesn't mean you're living on mission. And I want to today rally you today and show you in the Bible 
principles for how every single one of us ought to, has to, and will know how to live for the glory of God, whatever your job may be. I'm going to give you four things. But before I do that, let's talk about real quick the elephant in the room. We talked about bondservants and masters. Let's talk about slavery. Only because we live in a world where we need to be equipped to answer the charge that the Bible supports slavery. Or there's some mocker or deconstructionist on social media posting about how the Bible supports slavery. And today we're talking about this and we're drawing out principles for daily life. But what about slavery, Eugene? I want you to be fortified in your faith. I want to show you real quick how the Bible, what the Bible really says about relationships in this kind of structure. I'm going to read you four verses, and I could have gone so much more, but I want to, I'm going to make one very important conclusion out of this about slavery in the Bible. James 3.9 says, with it, that is the mouth, tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Bible sets down as a stake in the ground that every human being is made in the image of God. Everybody, from a baby, a small baby in a womb, to an autistic child, to a child with Down syndrome, to someone with Alzheimer's, everybody, no matter the race, is made in the image of God. Here's what else it says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's, Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Everybody in the first century that would read this, in that everybody would be slaves included. And they were heirs of the promise. In other words, they had an inheritance coming to them. Here, that is in Jesus, there is not Greek and Jew, Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now check this out. One of my favorite is Philemon. If you ever want to read a whole book in the Bible in one sitting, choose Philemon. It's one chapter. And Philemon was a master. He had a runaway slave called Onesimus. And Paul met him somewhere in a different part of the world, in the ancient Middle East, sends him back as a runaway slave, to, back to his master. And he says this, I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as fellow man, this would be revolutionary. And as a brother in the Lord. Here's what I want to conclude. For some reason, the Bible, while doesn't necessarily dismantle the structure and labels and titles of bondservants and, and slaves, radically and fundamentally changes the relationship between the slave and the owner. The relationship is gutted. In reality, it's no longer that same slavery. I was thinking about an example, and this might be a cru like a, a, a vague analogy of this, but imagine you work, and um, let's just say 
there's a manager and a new entrant into the workplace, a new employee and a manager. Let's just say that they develop a relationship, manager and an employee. Let's just say it's all godly. They disclose it to the HR. There's no imbalance of power. There's no harassment, blah, 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 blah. It's all done well, and they get married. Manager, employee. They go to honeymoon, and they come back, and on Monday, they go to work together. One is the manager. One is the employee. It's like, yeah, we see the structure there, but the relationship has completely Change. There's something else going on. And that's exactly what's going on here. The relationship has fundamentally changed. The masters understand themselves to be servants and slaves of Christ with their servants. And servants are raised up in status to be heirs of the promise. Now you might say, Eugene, that's still not good news. Because how come the Bible doesn't just ban this kind of structure. I believe the Bible did dismantle this structure. If you think about all the freedoms we have, all the rights we have today, think about where we are in history. Okay, none of that was guaranteed, right? Like, we have the freedoms we do, the rights we do, but it's, it wasn't like always the plan of like, some farmers 2,000 years ago be like, that's the plan, man. We're going to get there one day when all of us are going to be educated, all of us are going to have freedoms, all of us are going to have rights. So the question is, why are we here? Why do we have the freedoms we have? And if you studied history, you would find that the catalyst would be biblical truths, biblical ideas, men and women with biblical convictions, movements steeped in the Bible, acting as catalysts towards greater and greater freedoms. The question we often ask is, why was there slavery? The question is, why is there no slavery? Every civilization, every age practice slavery. Why do we not have slavery today? And you would have to be honest and look at the Bible and say, the Bible has some pretty cool ideas about who people are. We're all made in the likeness and image of God. Do people, have people used the Bible to abuse others? Tragically, yes. But the light of the Bible has ultimately dismantled such tragic evils. So I want to encourage you that the Bible is incredibly beautiful and is revolutionary text. I was reading MLK's I Have a Dream speech. Oh, my goodness. And it's drenched with Scripture until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like mighty stream. You think about all that has happened for humanity, and the Bible was always the catalyst. Amen? So, that was that part. Let's talk about how to glorify God in our day-to-day life. The first thing we see, I'm going to give you four principles out of this for our daily life, is that your job is for Christ regardless of what you do or who you answer to. Notice in this text how much Jesus we have, okay? There's about three verses that, is being addre- that servants are being addressed. In, in all three verses, we have four references to Jesus. Obey your, mirth- 
earthly masters as you would Christ. That's verse 5. As bondservants of Christ. Rendering service as to the Lord. That you will receive back the reward from the Lord. The Bible is super Jesus-centered. This is why our series is called Relationship with Jesus at the Center. We have to see that our jobs and recognize and accept is to Jesus alone, that he is the one that our jobs are for. You know, we sometimes take God out of the equation. And the way we do so, and I think one of the reasons we have this list, and I have priorities here for us, and the first thing we say, God is first, okay? God is first. Second is family, then church, then work, then hangouts, then chores, then exercise, then hobbies. You can disagree with this list all you want. It's not the point. But we're like, God is first, okay? And then everything else. God is first. And, you know, you, it's a great idea until you start, sit down, and you're like, what is this for? What are we talking about? What is God's? Is that the Bible reading, the devotions in the morning? Wait a moment. Isn't Jesus Lord and every square inch of the universe belongs to him? We can sometimes give God 50%, but the other 50%, I mean, it's just kind of about my interest and what I need to do and live life. God gets his 50, I get my 50. See, we often think that we're going to seek God first and then everything else. The better way and what we're called is to seek God first in everything. Not God then Family, God in family. Not God, then church. God here. Not God, then my job, and let me just make my paycheck and pay my bills, and that's all I need to do, but seeking God in my job. We are called to live as unto the Lord in our workplaces. It's for God and his glory. I love how what this means is that it elevates all of our jobs that we think are too insignificant. Think about this. Some of our jobs are, at least you see that it's significant because, you know, you're, you're dealing with children or you're teaching children or you're a doctor, you're helping people, and you could see the help. And some of us are doing accounting. I love accountants, by the way. Or some of us are doing stocking shelves at a grocery store. And we're like, what? This is insignificant. This is so meaningless. This is purposeless. No, that's not true. That you, it's as to be done as unto the Lord for his glory. And if God would consider it as something to be done for him, I'm sure it has meaning. Imagine this. You can stock shelves for the glory of God. That's purpose. That's meaning. I love how In verse 7, actually I can't find my text even though it's such a short, short text, but we are called to glorify God. You know, so this elevates all of our jobs. It also gives you the freedom to respect your unbearable manager. When you understand that my job is for his glory and I am to do it as unto the Lord, you have the freedom to respect the manager you really little respect. You have the freedom to say yes to the manager 
you have such a hard time respecting. Because I'm, not, I'm ultimately not respecting you, I'm respecting Jesus. I'm not saying yes to you as so much as I'm saying yes to Jesus. Done unto the Lord. The second thing we see here in this text is that your heart matters to God. Your heart at work and what's going on inside matters to God. Here's one thing that you did not have on your job requirements, job description. That you would work with goodwill. That you would work from your heart. That you would work with sincere heart. Did anybody have that on your job description? Uh, It's in God's job description for you. Check this out. In the Bible, we see three references to heart. Number one, that you would work with sincere heart. Uh, Number two, that you would serve and do the will of God from the heart. And number three, in verse seven, rendering service with a good will. God cares about what's going on internally. To make this practical to us, you know, we often do things that are right the wrong way. You ever notice that? We serve, but when we serve, we got to let Instagram know that we're serving. Or when we serve, we do so grumbling. Uh, We give, but we give with selfish ambition of expectation of something being handed back to me from heaven. Or we give without a cheerful heart. God cares about our heart. So let me ask you this. How's your heart at work? Well, what does that mean? Are you thankful? It's incredible how much praise there will be in your job if you simply put on gratitude. Thankful. I get to have this body. I'm able. I can, I can work. God, thank you. Sincere heart. Are you honest? Is there gossip? Do you spread gossip at work? Or do you flatter? And I learned that a beautiful difference between gossip and flattery. You see, gossip is saying something behind someone's back what you would never say to their face. Flattery is saying something, something to somebody's face that you would never say behind their back. And we could be gossiping or f- flattering from the heart. What does that mean? That you would care. That you would absolutely care. So many of us, you know, we, we wing it in, we call it in, we mail it in. And Scripture calls us to serve and work from the heart. Uh, this means that you would care. That you would have goodwill. Uh, what does that mean? That you desire to see success for your company for your coworkers, for your superiors. Isn't it true how often our flesh delights in a little bit of drama, delights in a little bit of problems at our company? That's not to be us. That we would work with good will, caring that the, Bi- the Bible, <laughs> that your job would be a successful one, benefit others, praise God. You might say, Eugene, You have no idea my work conditions, man. Listen, I really don't. But can we agree that those work conditions were worse? I think so. (laughs) I don't think anybody can convince anyone here, like, hey, man, 
I have it worse than the bondservants and the masters had it. And yet to them, God calls to obey and to love and to work from your heart. Surely we can work from our heart. Now you might say also, but I don't get to control my heart. It kind of is. Ever think about that? Like my heart cares and it doesn't care. I, I, don't, I don't get to choose. My, call, my heart wants to do good. It doesn't want to do good. Uh, my heart wants to see success or it doesn't. It's just my heart is. Like I don't get to decide. Like I can say thank you, but I don't feel thank you. I can say I care about you, but I don't feel like I care about you. My heart is what it is. And that's true. Our hearts are not something that we can just decide to pull, pull in one direction or the other. At the same time, at the same time, please get this. This is, this is so important. You often do decide on things that shape what your heart cares about. You often do decide to do things that shape and mold what your heart will value. So don't be so surrendered at this. Can I show you how sanctification works? Can I show you how you can gain a heart of love in your workplace? It's sanctification. And how are people sanctified? Sanctification means growing in Christ-likeness. It's the diminishing of the presence of sin in our life, looking more and more like Jesus. How does that work? I love 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will we what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Did you catch that? The reason why we will be like him is because we will see him. Do you know how you gain a heart that's like Christ? You behold his beauty in the word of God. As you continually gaze on Jesus, your heart becomes tender. Your heart tends to break for the lost. Your heart tends to break for the workplace. Now, it doesn't work when you turn your gaze away from Jesus, gazing at something else. Caring about something else, but if you come and draw near to Jesus and make scripture a daily reality of your life and draw to him in prayer and you train yourself to continually behold Jesus' beauty. I mean, look, it's just crazy, right? When we die, it's not like that when we die we become like Jesus because we died. Death has no power to transform us. When we die and we become like Jesus, it's because Jesus will be so evident and clear and obvious and radiant and beautiful. And just to look at him is to become like him. So let me ask you this question. If your heart is like, you're not getting this. You're like, I can't do this. I, I don't really care about my workplace. And you want a heart of tenderness. Gaze upon Jesus. Let me give you a third thing. So your heart matters. The third thing that we see is that our excellence at, in the workplace must come from our identity and not our agenda. In verse 6, Paul writes, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but 
as bondservants of Christ. Why are you to obey? Why are you to do well? What's the reason? The reason is not because you're trying to get good quarterly, quarterly reviews. Not because of that promotion you're chasing. But because you are first and foremost a bondservant of Christ himself. That's who you are. What does that really mean for us? It means that as a servant of Jesus, the reason why you are excellent in your workplace is because your will has died and his will reigns. The reason why you are excellent in your job and you pursue to do it well with quality is because you are Jesus's, you belong to Christ, and as belonging to Christ, your will has died, his will reigns. I want to encourage you in the workplace tomorrow, all right, Monday, you would pursue excellence, great work. You paint, paint to the glory of God. I don't know what else you do. You, you type, type to the glory of God. I don't know what else you guys do here. That's about it, right? Um, also, because you belong to Jesus, you are responsible for how the world sees Jesus. Are you bringing glory to him? Do you bring a good name to the name Christian, little Christ? Let me ask you this. Have you made decisions in your past, past year, that they weren't even right or wrong? You know, that wasn't a thing. That, that's, that's clear. You don't do the wrong things. But you made decisions that were gray, but you chose not to go along or to go along because it would simply make Jesus look good. You are identified with Christ. It's a privilege and a responsibility and an honor. You are with Christ. And people look at you and then they look at Jesus. And it's tragic that today in our world, in the Northwest, Christians have such a bad name. Some, let it be deserved, you know, it's because of the gospel. But let it, all those things that shouldn't be. Because you belong to Jesus, let me encourage you with one thing. You're abiding in him. You ever think about a John chapter 15 where Jesus talks about, I am the vine, you are the branches. I was thinking about this the other day, how a privilege it is. And the reason it is, is because as the vine circulates all of the nutrition, circul circulates all of the things that it draws out of the soil, when a branch connects to the vine, all of those things start to circulate in the branch as well. You know what a privilege it is to belong to Jesus? The love that Jesus has, the grace that Jesus has, the kindness that Jesus has, the love for people that Jesus has doesn't just circulate in Christ, but when we abide in him and we are his and we belong to him, it starts to run in our veins, in our lives. We belong to Jesus. And the fourth one we see here is that you would be working for heavenly treasures, not just a paycheck. 
And verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will, ask to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive back from the Lord. Did you know that at work, you're working for more than just a paycheck? Did you know that at work, you have opportunities to store up heavenly treasures? How? Doing good. Good. Can I encourage you, if you're discouraged today, that no good is ever wasted. Got that? Any good you ever do is never wasted. You saved your company money and no one seems to care. That good is not wasted. You are the reason your coworker is promoted, but that coworker has never thanked you. Who cares? That good is stored in treasure. You took the fall, the fall for someone, that good stored in treasure. You sacrificed your vacation to help someone at work. You did the work, God stored in treasure. You held your tongue about your company despite the fact that you had so much delicious, salacious details about upper management, but you held your tongue. That good is stored in heaven. You invested in someone Took him out for coffee. Invested your time, your talent, maybe your treasure into them. And they just moved on. That good is, is stored up in heaven. Your job is to store up heavenly treasures, not just to get a paycheck. This would be the encouragement Paul gave to the bond servants. This is the encouragement God has given to all of us here. Hey, tomorrow, hey, this week, this upcoming quarter, in your job, would you be about good? Good. Whatever good you may be able to produce, that's good. That's good. That's what God is calling you. The question I want to ask for us tonight, tonight, today, this morning, is is your job a desert? Is it a barren wasteland where you do not know God, acknowledge God in your job? Because that's what the enemy, this world wants you precisely to do. Or is your job a place of mission and meaning and purpose and glorifying God? To summarize, is Jesus at the center of your job? Is Jesus at the center of your working relationship? I want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you today to not let this moment waste. Think about your job. Think about where you're at. If you, you have a gig, side gig, and you're self-employed, these principles apply to you as well. If you're a supervisor, the other principles apply to you as well. But I want you, church, so much to see remarkable opportunity in the workplace. Come on, let's serve. Let's love Jesus. Let's glorify him. Amen.
We're going to be praying right now. And I want to present to you also the gospel. Hey, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, the greatest thing you can do, this absolutely is actually an understatement. The best thing you can do is have a relationship with Jesus. And the way you do so is not by measuring up. You do so by believing in His finished work on the cross, His forgiveness for your sins. Friend, the best thing we want for you is that you would know Him, love Him, be covered in His blessing, have eternal life, and you do so by running to the cross repenting of your sins and believing in Christ through prayer, through prayer. So as we sing this song and have a time of response, we have a prayer team that's going to be praying on the side, and you want to go get prayer, you can. And for also for everyone else here, evaluating where you are at your work, I want to call you also to repentance. Church, it's the throne of grace we come to. It's not a throne of judgment. It's not a throne of condemnation. It is a throne of kindness and grace and forgiveness. And it is a remarkable opportunity today to reevaluate, to repent, and invite the Holy Spirit to lead you in your day-to-day -day life. Would you stand with me? Jesus, you are worthy of all praise. And Lord, your people find themselves 40, 50, 60 hours in the workplace. Lord, would you help us live on mission? Would you help us live to glorify your name? Would you help us be excellent in our workplace? Because if we are bondservants of you, would you help us live from our heart, God? Not just worrying about the externals, but evaluating where we are in our hearts. Or would you help us seize the opportunities to store up treasures in heaven? Church, we, God, we move in your blessing. We desperately need your blessing. Lord, I also pray for someone here today or someone's who do not know you yet. Lord, bring their heart to you. In your name we pray, amen.